here we read. It says this, Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that there should be brought in, the chief of eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters, somebody say all matters, of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them, watch this, 10 times better. Now, because I don't have a lot of time, I try to read the whole passage and not preach it, but I got to preach just one point. Here is the king of the most powerful kingdom on the planet, Babylon at the time, Nebuchadnezzar, looking for people. He's looking for governors and lieutenants to be able to lead his nation. They bring in all the smartest, all the brightest, all the most educated. Four of them are followers of God. Everybody else is not. And after they go through a period of preparation and study, they're brought before the king to be interviewed, and he tests each and every one of them to figure out, who can I trust my kingdom to? And when he came upon the four believers, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, here's what it says. He found them 10 times better. Somebody say, preach that. Are you 10 times better than your coworkers? <laughs> because that is your, okay, let me say this, that's your biblical responsibility. You know, we can say amen right there and just go home. That's the whole message. That's said 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were all in his room. Watch this. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Here's what he found. He found that the believer wasn't more tongue-talking or spirit-filled, but was more intelligent, understanding, had a mastery of leading. That he didn't just live in that one king's reign, but king after king after king, all the way to King Cyrus, picked Daniel to be his advisor because of the wisdom and excellence and understanding on his life. That should be the kingdom of God. Shout, let that be my story. Come on, you didn't shout. If I'm a, if I'm a priest, you're going to have to shout. Somebody say, let that be my story. Come on, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this opportunity to be in your presence with your people. God, we're asking, God, that you'd move in this moment, that you'd speak, that you'd transform, God, that you would ignite revival in your church. We're your people, called by your name for your purpose. Father God, anoint me to speak. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen and amen. I, uh, I, I, am, I am not what they would call a cook. Look, look at the person next to you and ask them, can you cook? Can you cook? Can you cook? Come on, ask, ask the person next to you, can you cook? Can you cook? Can you cook? Huh? I know this is a really touchy subject. It's a touchy moment. Some of you husbands are sitting next to your wife and you're asking, can you cook? And she's looking back at you saying, will you cook? Uh, 
I, 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 and, 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 and you know, some people, some people, they get really bold and they say they can cook. And then when you taste their cooking, you realize that was a lie. Now, there's a difference between do you cook and can you cook? I do cook, but I cannot cook. That doesn't make sense. What's the difference? I, I can make, you know, spaghetti and meat sauce. I'll, I'll throw some steaks on the grill. I even make you little, you know, balsamic vinaigrette, little Brussels sprouts. And I, I get a little, you know, I get a little cute with it. Whatever Google got, got you. I even try a little lasagna as long as it's on recipes.com or whatever it may be. But that's not cooking. That's reading. You're not a cook unless you talk in pinches and dashes. Only people, <laughs> you ever called your auntie, your uncle, your grandma, how do you make this? And they say, take a pinch of this and throw in a dash of that. And you're like, what's a pinch? What's a dash? Is that a teaspoon? Is it a tablespoon? Is it a, if you ain't pinching and dashing, you're not a cook. Do not bring your potato salad to the July 4th cookout. Go to Sam's Club, get you a little pre-made, throw it in a container like you made it. You bring the plates, the cups, and the drinks, and leave the cooking for the professionals. I, 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 I'm not a cook. I do cook. I'm not a cook. I actually enjoy baking uh, more than I do cooking. I'm, I just got a little sweet tooth, so I love apple pie and chocolate chip cookies and oatmeal raisins and all this other good stuff. But early on uh, in our marriage, me and my wife, man, we are the best people to talk about marriage because we had every marriage issue that you could possibly have on planet Earth. But we had a little bit of a head bump because this is, like, I'm talking about like the first 12 weeks of us being married. I said, babe, I'd, I'd like to make some cookies. Can, can, can we? And she's like, what kind of cookies? I said, chocolate chip cookies. She's like, great. I'll go to the supermarket and we can make some chocolate chip cookies. She comes back with that like Prepperidge Farm, pre-mixed, pre-cubed, just break it into pieces, throw it on a cookie sheet, throw it in the oven. <laughs> dropped the groceries and went to work. So I pick up the phone. I said, babe, I'm, I'm looking to make the cookies that I talked about and I'm not seeing, you know, the ingredients. And she said, what are you talking about? I put it in the fridge. I'm like, why'd you put the flour in the fridge? <laughs> I go open the fridge. There's no flour. There's no baking soda. There's, there, there's, there's nothing there but this little Pepperidge Farm bag that I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> she said, it's the cookies in there. I said, babe, we, that's not baking. That's warming. I need flour. I need chocolate morsels, not the dark chocolate because it makes it bitter and it's just a little bit extra. I need the milk chocolate. I need the walnuts that you have to break up with the bottom of a hammer before you throw it in there, but don't mince it up because then you have a pie, not a cookie. I said, I need ingredients to cook. The ingredients makes the meal. How many people know if you miss an ingredient... 
it's not the meal that you intended to make. <laughs> I grew up in a Caribbean home. My dad, I got this actually from my dad. My dad is a cook. He does not cook. He is a cook. He's Captain Dash and Sprinkle and all that other good stuff. And we Caribbean. So it's beef patties and coconut rolls and pone and pickled pig's feet and stuff that just brings the Holy Spirit all over you. I called my dad one time and said, hey, I want to make some beef patties for, for, for Thanksgiving. Can you give me the recipe? And he didn't reach for it. He didn't go for it. He didn't read for it. He was just like, okay, get this, get this, get this, a dash of this. A spray. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can't write that fast. <laughs> and as I'm writing, somehow I missed this small little stupid ingredient called yeast. All the cooks said, <laughs> stick to preaching because clearly cooking is not your thing. And I mean, I throw all the flour, all, all, all the curry, I'm, I'm, I'm kneading, I'm all, and then I put it there for it to rise. <sighs> About 30 minutes, I'm just staring at it. <laughs> An hour, two hours. <laughs> Must have been like they felt outside of Jesus' tomb. <sighs> When you're gonna rise? <laughs> Called my dad and said, It's not rising. He said, Did you throw in everything I told you to throw in? I said, Yeah. He said, What about the yeast? I said, About the what? I had all the right ingredients. I was missing one. And what? Because I was missing one, I was never able to finish the meal. Getting all the ingredients right dictates the experience that you have. And if you miss some key experiences or, or ingredients, what is supposed to taste one way actually tastes a different way. You know, it's possible to miss some ingredients in your Christianity. It's possible to miss some key ingredients, and if you miss some key ingredients, it, 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 it tastes a little different. Like if you get the ingredient right that we're here to serve God and, and build the kingdom of God, but you miss the ingredient that all of our service for God should be an overflow of our relationship with God. Next thing you know, your Christianity becomes a performance where you're trying to earn God's love and earn God's forgiveness and earn his favor because you miss the ingredient of my relationship with him helps me understand that my acceptance by him is not based on my performance or my actions, but it's based on the blood of Jesus in my life. It is vital as believers that we're not missing key ingredients in our pursuit of God. Somebody say amen. But to ensure that we have all of the ingredients in our, our, our pursuit of God, we have to know two things. You have to know the word of God, and we have to know the history of the church. Some people know the word of God, and a lot of people do not know the history of the church. Since it's graduation Sunday, today we are going to have a lecture from Professor Stephen Chandler uh, about church History And I've, I've been studying about this since February, and it's been fascinating, not just to know to know, but how does it affect my life and my relationship with God? What everybody and most people know is you know the church that you got saved in. You, you know the church that you grew up in for the majority of people. Unless you immigrated to this country, you grew up in the American version of Christianity. 
But what you may not know is that there was not always 50,000 different denominations spread across this world under the heading of Christianity. Actually, after Jesus died on the cross, rose and ascended to the Father to sit at the right hand and intercede on our behalf, that there was one church under one name under one heading, and it was not the Roman Catholic Church, it was not the Orthodox Church, it was not the Protestant Church, it was the church church. For the 300 years after Jesus ascended, Christianity spread like wildfire wherever the Roman Empire was because Christianity thrives and spreads wherever there's order and structure and literally rides on society. So it literally spread, I mean, everywhere. And, and over a period of time, what they would begin to do is bring the key bishops from five different major societies together on a regular basis to be able to bring clarity to the kind of sticky parts of Christianity and help the church understand here's what it means to be a Christian. The first gathering was in the early fourth century. It was brought together by Constantine and bishops. Let me see if I did my research correctly. From Alexandria, from Rome, from Jerusalem, from Constantinople, and from cheating on his notes because he did not do his history right. Boom, 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 boom. Alexandria. That's the one you never remember. These five bishops came together in Nicaea Greek, but under uh, Constantine's request and said, hey, can you give us tenets that this is what defines our Christianity? Out of that gathering, the first one in, in early fourth century, the last one in 381 AD, came the Nicene Creed, which our faith is built on. Y'all in school, I don't see y'all taking notes. Nobody, nobody wrote Nicene Creed. Come on, just write that down. Your faith is built on the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed literally defines that to be a Christian, this is, much, is what you must believe. And anything that is believed outside of this is considered heresy. Any church that is built on this is the church of Jesus Christ. And any church that's built outside of this is not a church. It is a, a cult, if I can just be kind of blunt and direct. And to not give you the entire Nicene Creed, but it boils down to this. God the Father is God Almighty. His son, Jesus Christ, is 100% God, the only begotten son of the Father. Jesus was not created. He was and is and is to come. The Bible is the infallible word of God in which our faith is built on. The Holy Spirit is God and is here on earth to empower the believer to live a life that is pleasing to God. And there is a church that was ordained by God that he is returning and bringing to heaven with him. Somebody say amen. That's what our faith, that's a good place to say amen. I know you don't normally clap in class, but this is, that's what our faith is built on. And anybody who believes that is a Christian, any church who's built on that is a church, whether they talk in tongues or not, whether they believe in musical instruments or not, any church that is built on that is the church of Jesus Christ. Somebody say, keep going. This is interesting. Now, you can never have purity in faith without jacked up humanity coming in to mess it up. So we fast forward to 1054 AD, and the Bishop of Rome decides that he wants to adjust the Nicene Creed, 
without bringing in the counsel of other bishops. He decides, I'm going to change something and I'm not going to ask anybody's opinion. And in that moment, he declared himself as the sole leader and the infallible voice of the church equal with scripture. Somebody say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Instantly, the other bishops say, well, you're excommunicated. You're kicked out of the church because that's heresy. Well, the bishop of Rome looked back at them and said, no, you're excommunicated of my church. (laughs) And that was the first great schism in the church. And from that great schism in 1054 AD, we have now the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. Come on now. Y'all having fun? I'm having fun. Now, go, 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 go. One one of the biggest issues um, for some people in America is, well, Christianity was was pushed in this nation um, when slavery was celebrated. So how can I connect with a faith that that, that authorized slavery? That, that mindset is not understanding the history of the church to understanding that the history of the church isn't a great one. And slavery is not the first thing that we got wrong. Because you see, in 1200 AD, when the Muslims took over Jerusalem, the Roman Catholic Church went on crusades to take back Jerusalem from the Muslims. And in the process of traveling to Jerusalem to take back Jerusalem from the Muslims, they stopped at Eastern Orthodox churches along the way and burned those churches to the ground and killed fellow Christians and pillaged and ransacked the church turning on itself because you believe something differently than I do. This is the history of our church that we come from. Come on now. Then you fast forward to 1500s when Martin Luther took his 95 thesis and nailed it to the wall of the church and said, we we no longer adhere to the tenets of the Roman Catholic Church because they have now shifted into a church that is more political and more man-run than a church that is biblically grounded and based on the Word of God. Here's the 95 issues that I have with the church and how we've left Scripture. Tracking with me? That was the Protestant Reformation. That was the second great schism where Protestants split off from the Roman Catholic Church. And chances are, unless you are 700 years old, you were saved and came to faith in a Protestant church. And it started in that 1500 when uh, he nailed those 95 theses to the wall. Uh, Martin Luther's issue was that first and foremost, the Pope was allowed to speak and his words were equal to scripture. And one of the major emphasis of his 95 thesis is no, scripture is the authority of our faith, not a human. And the believer should be allowed to read the word for themselves and interpret scripture for themselves. Prior to those 95 thesis, there were no widespread Bibles that were printed for all believers to read. Only the priest had handwritten Bibles and they would read it themselves and then they would tell the people what it said. 
It's amazing how God runs parallel with the history that he has his hand on and uses history to move the kingdom of God forward. Those 95 theses came out at the same time as Gutenberg's printing press. So with him saying that the believers should have the word of God for themselves, there actually came the invention to print out the word of God so that believers could actually receive God's word. Somebody say amen. Now, here's the good part. Here's the bad part. Believers have the word of God. They can read it for themselves. They no longer need just the pope or a priest to speak on behalf of God. Here's the bad side of it. Well, if I no longer need the pope or the priest and I have the word of God, I can start my own church. And from 1500 to 2022, there has been over 300,000 church splits and schisms ever since our good friend Martin Luther empowered the kingdom of God. (laughs) We just have a way of messing a good thing up. Now, somebody say, get to the message. All of that to say, Martin Luther split off and started this Protestant Reformation that we are grateful for because of the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church. But as they did that, Instead of defining our faith in Christianity according to the word of God, they defined it according to the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church. And where they saw abuse, they overcorrected as to not be associated with those who were abusing the word of God, as supposed to say, my faith is not going to be built on things that I disagree with and people that I disagree with, but my faith is going to be built on the word of God. Somebody say amen. Okay, so... Over the next few weeks, next week, Pastor Irene is coming in to preach, and then, uh, come on now, that's going to be a phenomenal week. So from now until the end of August, as I come up to preach, I'm going to highlight five of the major overcorrections that are missing ingredients in our Protestant faith and how it affects our relationship with God and how it affects our purpose and our destiny here on earth. Does does that work? So if if, if you've never gotten a degree, you're going to get one by the end of August. You're going to graduate in in early church history. Does that work for you? All right. Today, we're going to unpack the first overcorrection. Write this down. God has called the church. God has called us to transform a nation. God has called his church to transform a nation. So here's what Martin Luther and and those who were involved in the Reformation saw. They saw the Roman Catholic Church that had now become contaminated by politics and by favor. That they were now saying things were biblical because it benefited the king. They were now saying things were the will of God because they were paid or because a certain offering came from a business person or whatever it may be. And they saw that there was an over-focus on building relationships and having influence with influential people. So what they did is they began to push the theology of eternity. And the theology of eternity is this, that this life that we here live on earth is temporary. Somebody say amen. 
that God has placed us here on earth for two reasons. One, to build a relationship with him, to exemplify the goodness of God, but also to help as many believers as we possibly can to encounter him and to come in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And at some point, the Bible says we do not know the time nor the hour, but we should live as if it could be any moment. At some point, he will return. He will crack the sky and he will call up with him those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. That's all true. That's all Bible. Somebody say amen. Can I give you the over-exaggeration? So nothing on this earth matters. It's all going to burn. It, 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 it doesn't matter about education. It doesn't matter about business. It doesn't matter about wealth. It doesn't matter about politics. It doesn't matter about medicine. None of, none of that stuff is really important because all that matters is eternity. We, we get to spend eternity with God. and That's all we need to focus on. That's all we need to think about. That's all we need to prepare for. Nothing on this earth matters. And you'll hear people say things because it's all going to burn. Come on now. Why, why even bother to recycle? Because it's all gonna, it's all gonna, let me say that's an over-exaggeration. Here are the children of Israel in captivity in Babylon. And look what God says to them in Jeremiah 29, 7. He says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. He said, no, 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 I've placed you there and I've placed you there to seek the peace and prosperity. Leave that verse up. What does the word prosperity mean? It means forward motion. It means kingdom momentum. He said, I've placed you in a land that the peace of God would reign in that land and the prosperity of God would move in that land. And this is what he said. Pray to the Lord for it, for that land, because if the land prospers, you prosper. That's what God told the church. He said, you need to pray for the county that he's placed you in. You need to pray for the job that you're in. You need to pray for the nation that you're in. We need to pray for this generation that we're living in, that the peace of God would reign in this land. Why? Because if the peace of God reigns and the prosperity of God reigns, as our land prospers, we prosper. So where America goes, we go, unless you plan on moving, and then wherever you move to, <laughs> wherever that goes is, is where we go. God actually strategically places believers in a land because he wants to do something in that land, and he knows that he needs believers to do it through. But if we've believed the mindset that no, 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 all I need is King Jesus. All I need, all I long as I got King Jesus. Don't, don't need nobody outside. I don't need an education. I don't need a career. I don't need to save for retirement. None of that matters because I've got the Holy Ghost. Come on now. We get it to the point in the over-exaggeration that we've actually preached that only pastors are anointed. And if that you're going to be called by God, God only calls for ministry. And God's never called anybody to be a doctor. 
because that doesn't help the kingdom of God. And God's never called anybody to be a professor. And God's never called anybody to, to own a business and to be able to employ people and transform lives through their inventions. And God's never called anybody to raise up godly family. He only calls pastors. Somebody say, that is not so. We serve a God that anoints and calls doctors, that gives divine wisdom to CEOs and IT companies, that, that empowers professors to understand wisdom and understanding. If you read through Daniel chapter 1, the Bible says that they pulled the Hebrew boys out and they pulled out the unbelievers and they began to educate them and prepare them for their testing before the king to see which one the king would use. And here's what the Bible says. It says that God anointed them to learn. He anointed them to discover and to invent. Hear me, God doesn't just anoint to preach the word of God, to lay hands and cast out devils. God anoints to discover the cure for cancer and to invent things and to move. You get what I'm saying? This is called the theology of transformation. That God did not just call us to live in a sinful world in an incubator within the four walls of the church, but he's called us to transform the society that we've placed in. Here's what we preach. Hey, get saved and wait till die so you can go to heaven. But here's what Jesus preached. This is how you ought to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in our school system, in the New York Stock Exchange, in our government, in our hospitals as it already is in heaven. I'm having a little bit of fun, but that's okay. Do you really think the cure for cancer is not already in heaven? God is looking for a spirit-filled scientist that can pray and scream in tongues as they look through that. Somebody say, I'm anointed. And, and, and here's what happens. Because we've preached that God only calls and anoints for ministry, if you're not in ministry, you're only doing it for money. Make sense? And now in America, we are in the, they're calling the great resignation, where everybody's leaving jobs because it's no longer convenient for them. And I'm looking for the most convenient job I can find that doesn't interfere with my work-life balance. Come on now. And hashtag goals I made it is when I'm rich enough to retire at 40 years old. That's what you do when you're only doing it for an income. But when you realize, I'm not teaching in this school because I have bills to pay. I'm teaching in this school because I'm anointed and called by God. He has placed me here to establish the kingdom of God. And by the way, I'm just as called as Pastor Stephen. And I'm just as anointed. And by the way, you need just as much faith. Come on now. I've been preparing five months for this one. Wait till the next one. So here's what the church has done. We focused on eternity. We focused on faith. And we've surrendered the rest of our nation to unbelievers. Say that again. We focused on eternity. We focused on faith. And we've surrendered the rest of the nation to educate our children to employ our graduates, to bring medical advice to our sick. Come on now. 
And, and, then, and, then, and then, because the enemy is really, really good at what he does, and he's the father of lies, he, he spread this propaganda that as believers, we should never force or institute our morals on other people. That, that, that God doesn't force anybody to do anything, and we shouldn't force somebody who doesn't believe what we believe to believe what we believe. It's, it's not even sensical. Here's what you should not and cannot force. Faith. You can't force your child to believe in Jesus. All you can do is pray and set an example and speak the truth of God to them. But it's every single person's responsibility to interact with God, to surrender to God, and to receive their forgiveness from God. You cannot force faith. But here's the deal. You must establish morality. And whenever the church refuses to establish morality, the only other option is that the enemy will establish morality. And here's what we do. We step back. And, and you've just seen it in waves in our country. It was the big um, um, season. I think it was 2008, if I'm not correct, when Enron blew up and Bernie Madoff. And all of a sudden, all this corruption in the business world began to be exposed. And we were outraged and began to scream, how can the business world be so corrupt that these major banks that are stealing money from people and all, you know how that can happen? Because the CEO of that bank was not a spirit-filled believer that was surrendered before God and leading according to the word of God, that, that whatever it may be, there wasn't a believer in that position. There was an unbeliever in that position. If it was a CEO that was spirit-filled, it would be different. Somebody say amen. So question, are you living out your calling in the city that God has placed you? So the king was looking, I, I, the world was looking for an answer to its solution. And watch this, when it was looking for an answer to its solution, it did not look for the most tongue-talking, spirit-filled believer it could find. It looked for the smartest, most excellent, and wise person that it could find. Here's what it said about Daniel in Daniel chapter 5, verse 12. It says, in as much as an excellent spirit. Knowledge, understanding, interpreting of dreams, solving riddles, and examining enigmas were found in this den. Examining enigmas. What is that? Homie understood science. And when the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. When the world has a problem, it's going to look for the most successful and the most educated and the most equipped and the most studied. And if the person it finds is not a believer, does that make sense? We get what we have. Back in the 1950s, uh, through Bill Bright and some others, a group of believers came together and they began to establish what they began to call the seven mountains of influence. And they believed that these were the seven major institutions in any nation that whoever controlled these institutions controlled the nation. That if these were controlled by believers, it'd be controlled, the nation would be a nation of, of, of prosperity and progress. And if it was controlled by unbelievers, it would be the same. Here's the seven. The first institution was family. As soon as the church stops being the one that, or, that dictates what family is, 
we're in trouble. Religion, education. If the majority of education comes from the place of you're here because of an explosion, you've got to understand a polywog rolled into a mud pit, and when he got in that mud pit, his tail fell off and he grew ears and hands, and you came from a polywog. If that's the majority of education, we're in trouble. Media. Oh, I just can't stand these news tickers and... Well, it's because believers are missing in action. Entertainment. I'm, I'm, I'm getting in trouble here because this is the one that messed me up. Because I said a believer has no business singing in a secular space. Believer has no business in these secular production companies or movie houses or whatever it may be. And here's the thing. Whatever you surrender to unbelievers, you can't be upset where things go business and government. I'm moving slow, and I'm going to try to end on time. When's the last time before they ran for Congress they came to the front of the church and the church laid hands on them? Not after, because it's too late then. Once you fall in the swamp, you swamped. It's the last time you're running for mayor, you're running for city council, you're running for senator, you're running for governor. Lay hands and pray. And then we look them in the eye and say, don't you dare turn to the right or to the left. But you stay true to who God's called you to be. Hear me. God has anointed you not just to make a paycheck, but to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Showing forth the manifold wisdom of God that your boss should come to you and say, what is it about you? You're different. Not just you're nicer because nice is good, but nice don't make money. You're greater. You're more excellent. You show up on time. You come up with great ideas. What is it about you? And you're able to say like Daniel said, yeah, I'm educated. Yeah, I went to college and all that, but I'm telling you, and it may sound weird, but God is with me. And because God's with me, he's anointed me and he's actually empowering me to do this job. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 15 says this, look today, I have set before you life and death, depending on whether you obey or disobey. I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God and to follow his path and to keep his laws so that you will live, watch this, and become a great nation. And so that the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to possess. And here's what God says. He said, but if your hearts turn away and you won't listen, if you are drawn away to worship other gods, then I declare to you this day that you shall surely perish. You will not have a long and good life in the land you are going to possess. God says the prosperity of a land is dictated on its people aligning with his word. I got to real move, move real slow, but end on time. Um, there's no such thing as a Christian nation. Because only people can be Christians, not a nation. So America never was, never is, and never will be a Christian nation. However, you can build a nation on Christian principles. 
And there is not a nation in history that has aligned its principles in its foundation closer to the word of God. For example, our democracy did not come from our forefathers. Our democracy came from Jethro. When he went to visit Moses out in the wilderness, and he says, it's not good for one man to lead a nation without accountability. He said, go get representation checks and balances. Does this sound familiar? From every tribe that can represent the people before the leader and the leader before the people. Bring these leaders together under God. He's going to knit your hearts together, and they're going to be the ones that are able to judge and dictate and all that different kind of stuff. Not a Christian nation, but built on Christian principles, and we've seen the favor of God as a result of it. You think about just in inventions, the majority of major inventions that have defined our generation and society has ever either been invented or perfected in this land. Did my research for this, so y'all ain't gonna send me emails afterwards. <laughs> Henry Ford did not invent the car. Carl Benz did. But Henry Ford perfected the car and the assembly line for us to be able to produce it. Electricity, the light bulb, the computer, internet, photography. Imagine life without video and film. It's not just because we're smarter, which we think we are. It's because as we stay in line with the word of God, that he brings favor and wisdom because of the people of God in that land. Somebody say amen. Here's my prayer. Here's my desire that there's CEOs that are rising up in Union Church, that God is downloading business ideas in your heart. That there's people that God has anointed you for academia and that you go after your PhD and that you're a professor in our colleges and in our universities and that you will actually stay true to the word of God and help people understand that this is not about what I prefer, but this is where grace and favor is. And when I step outside of this, I choose death and not life. Amen. Somebody say, keep moving. Second thing is this, write this down, write this down. Transformation cannot come before reformation. Transformation cannot come before reformation. What am I saying? Transformation is when the church goes outside of the walls and begins to bring a nation and a world into alignment with the word of God. Reformation is when the people inside of the walls decide that we're going to live according to the word of God. Say that again. Transformation is when the people of God go outside of the walls and bring a nation in alignment with the truth of God's word. Reformation is when the church decides we're going to be built on God's word and not built on culture or political preference or geographical upbringing. You know what statistics show in America right now? Less than 4% of people who profess to be Christians have a biblical worldview. Look to your right. Look to your left. Say, is that you? <laughs> Less than 4% of people who declare Jesus is Lord have a biblical worldview. So that leaves 96% that have a Republican worldview, not a biblical worldview that have a Democrat worldview, not a biblical worldview, 
that have an African-American worldview, not a biblical worldview, that have an immigrant worldview, not a… This is the type of message that gets you canceled. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its, its difference, its distinction, its different perspective, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled by the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's about to get tight, but it'll get right. One of the things for us as believers is we, 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 we care about fitting in. Not understanding that the exact faith we ascribe to calls us out. The definition of church, the original language, the word ecclesia, it literally is defined as called out of. Like the definite, I go to church, you go to called out. You don't go to blend in. Just because I'm having fun. Called out of the Republican Party. Called out of the Democrat Party. Called out of my family's worldview. And called into a biblical worldview. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says this. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Somebody say first. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these two. Matter of fact, in another passage, he says, the entire Bible, the law and the prophets are summed up in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all that you have and love thy neighbor as yourself. Now I'm going to get on the edge. I'm going to get me right to the canceled space and then we're going to have a good day. <laughs> By and large, Republicans have love the Lord your God on lock. That we're going to make sure that our morals align with the word of God. But they really stink at love your neighbor as yourself. I'm just let that simmer in just because I'm having fun. You're having fun, I'm having fun. Democrats have loved thy neighbor as thyself on lock. I'm going to make sure that we think about the hurting and the lost and the broken. And I'm not just here for myself. And we're thinking about the immigrant. And let's make sure there's government programs to help those that are disenfranchised and all that other good stuff. But the whole love the Lord your God. I don't know if I've ever been to stronger church, but I'm having fun. So if you are a Christian. You should only be able to align with about 50% of what the Republican Party believes. And if you're a biblically-based Christian, you should only be able to align with about 50% of what the Democratic Party believes. Come on now. Reminds me of Joshua going in to take the land. 
when the angel showed up. And Joshua asked him, are you Democrat or Republican? And that angel looked at him like, are you crazy? I'm neither. I'm kingdom. I'm the angel of the Lord's army, and I've now come. And here's what he told Joshua. Get back on your face and take off your shoes, for the land where you are standing is holy ground. This always has and always will belong to God. Amen. So we come to Friday, where our Supreme Court makes a whole bunch of different laws and all that other good stuff. One being overturn Roe versus Wade, which is the constitutional right for an abortion in all 50 states. The overturning of Roe versus Wade now returns the authority to make that decision to the state level, where some states will make it that you can't have an abortion as late. Some states will ban it altogether. And some states are saying we're going to be a safe haven for this abortion freedom to continue. And over the last 72 hours, y'all know me, I always speak straight. I saw the kingdom of God lose its ever-loving mind. Where one alignment, screaming and shouting, and this is a victory, this is amazing, we've prayed for this for generations. And another group screaming, this is an abomination. God doesn't force anybody to do anything. How dare we legislate the forcing of what we believe and all that other good stuff? The question is, what does Scripture say? Because that's all that matters. Pastor, how do you feel about Roe versus Wade? How I feel doesn't matter. So scripture says, Pastor, how do you feel about gay marriage? How I feel doesn't matter. What does Scripture say? Pastor, how do you feel about the immigration issues in our country? What I feel doesn't matter. Can I preach a part of the gospel that doesn't get preached often? Because I am a slave of righteousness. I am a servant of God. I am a bond servant of the Most High God. Hear me. My salvation was free. But there was a cost that came with it. I exchanged my forgiveness, and in exchange, I gave up the right to dictate what I do or do not believe. A life is built on the Word of God. Somebody say, Amen. So, is abortion murder? I'm not going to answer that. You answer that. It says, You, God, are the one who created my inmost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. Your works are wonderful, and I know that very well. The Word of God says that God is forming and fashioning humanity in the womb. Jeremiah 1.5, before I knew you, I formed you and fashioned you in your mother's womb caused you to be an ambassador to the nation. Genesis 1.26, man was made in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them, not him. We did not originate life, thus we don't have the authority to take life. And when we take life outside of the word of God, 
It's murder. What about police officers? What about the military? They kill people. Well, when you read the Bible, it's under the authority of God. God has given government authority to keep peace and to keep order and to respond to evil. Well, it's not right. A woman shouldn't have a government tell her how she can control or use her body. I should have rights over my body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's not a Republican worldview. It's not a Democrat worldview. It's a biblical worldview. For the sake of time, I won't go on and on and on. But here's where the, the, the retching in our soul is. Yes, it's not God. Yes, it's murder. But man, there's people that are desperate. There's people that are in need. There's people that don't have hope. There's people that, 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 that this is going to pretty much dictate that for generations and generations, they're going to find themselves in, in, in a deplorable situation. What does the church do? Well, James chapter 1 verse 27 says this, the Christian who is pure and without fault from God, the father's point of view, is the one who takes care of orphans and widows and who remains true to the Lord, not soiled and dirty by his contacts with the world. So now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned, what does the church need to do? We need to be adopting babies like we have never adopted babies in our lives. We need to rush in and support those that are foster care moms and fathers and say, hey, there's a church that's behind you and that's going to encourage you and help you. We need to rush in behind young women and young men that have had found themselves in a situation that they did not plan, but now it's the reality of their life and to let them know you do not have to go through this by yourself. We have to demand that there's legislation that requires that men take personal and responsible financial responsibility for decisions that they made and they don't have the biblical right to run out of. That's what the church should be doing right now. And the church also should be celebrating. Because if it was murder, then there's a spirit of murder that was legalized for the last 50 years of our history. And we've been destroying the image of God to the tune of over 50 million babies since 1973. And it's broken the heart of our father. And I, I love how the Bible is just so clear. He said, take care of the widows and orphans without forgetting the Lord your God and being soiled by the world. Right down the middle. Rush in to care and love on people. But don't let your care and love for people supersede your reverence and fear for God. And it's possible to do both. So hear me. I need you to be a CEO. I need you to be the best nurse on your floor. 
I need you to be a principal of a charter school and a public school. I, I, I need you to build wealth so that you can hire and employ and that you can advance the kingdom of God. But I don't need you to do that if you're not built on the word of God. I don't need you to do that if the second God opens a door and gives you a promotion that you find yourself stepping away from the truth of who he is. Because on Christ, the solid rock I stand and everything else will sink. And if we think that we can avoid it because we're educated enough or we're, we're sophisticated enough or we're modernized enough, we just haven't lived long enough to realize you don't step away from the word of God and see the peace and the prosperity and the promises of God come to pass in our lives. The last one is this, and I'm not going to preach it, but your fulfillment is in God's mission. The reality is, Pastor, I don't have time to think about our nation because I can't pay my bills. And I'm trying to get my marriage fixed. And I'm battling this sickness. And I don't really care who my governor is, because right now I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to find another job. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says this, if you'd seek forth first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else is going to be added to you. What does that mean? That means that God guarantees if you focus on his mission here on earth, he's going to focus on your life. But if you say God's mission is of no business to me, then God is saying, then I will not add supernatural faith, favor, and mercy to your life. This is the first. You're going to hear a lot more of this over the next few years. We're going to start giving out full scholarships. We're going to build an entrepreneurs and a business group where we're sharing business ideas and helping people not having to navigate just the struggles of, of owning your own company, but you can learn from people that are ahead of you. We have so many people in this church that are currently in law school, and we have so many lawyers that are in this church that are already walking in that career. We got to be a church that gets them together and is able to share the wisdom and the favor and the anointing that God's given them. We have doctors, and we have lawyers, and we have nurses and educators. It is time for the people of God to be the people of God, not just in the house of God but in this world that he has called us to transform. Father God, we're grateful that we are your plan here on earth. It's not D.C., it's not New York, it's not Hollywood, it's not Silicon Valley. It's the people of God spread throughout humanity to bring your kingdom to earth. God, these are different times, but you picked us for these times. So God, anoint us. God, I pray for favor, and wisdom, and knowledge. Right where you're sitting with your eyes closed, your head bowed. If you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what do you say to me? Just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. All of us in some way need to repent for areas of our lives that we've been more cultural than biblical. We've been more convenient than biblical. There's not a person, myself included, that has not made that mistake at some point. And God, for that, we repent. Maybe there's some of you in this room that, if you'd be honest, you grew up in church and you've attended church your whole life, or, or maybe you, this is your first time in church, but if you'd be honest, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you're in church because you were told that's what you do when you were raised here, but you've never surrendered to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords reality is that's where life begins. That's where purpose begins. 
You say, Pastor, I, I, I want to know God. I want a relationship with God. I, I need him to be the guide and the leader and the Lord of my life right where you are. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross so that all my sin, all my mistakes, all my sin, all my mistakes are erased, are removed as far as the east is from the west. I've been made new in you. Today, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Don't cut. Hopefully, I got it so all the campuses are still with me. We all just prayed that. Somebody said amen. All of my sins have been erased. Statistics show that one in four women have had an abortion. That means one in four men have been involved in one. The overwhelming guilt and shame that that can bring is nothing but the enemy. Because there is no mistake, there is no sin that the blood of Jesus cannot forgive, erase, restore, and make you brand new. And ignoring it and pretending it's not like, like it's not there steals the gravity of God's love for us and the power of his grace that while we were yet sinners he found you valuable enough to give his life for so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus you have been made new in Christ and he's removed it from your history stop beating yourself up over something that Christ has already paid the price for. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate and thank God for the grace and favor that he's given?